Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Essential Antitrust. It's the week of October 12th, and the EU's new regulation on the screening of foreign direct investment officially applies as of this past weekend. Now, as some of you might remember from our episode back in June, the regulation sets up a framework for EU member states to coordinate screening of foreign direct investment, or FDI, which is a fancy way of saying investment from outside the EU that could affect security or public order of the EU or its members. The regulation was agreed in 2018, a time when we were already seeing an explosion of FDI regimes around the world. And since then, we've seen increasingly productive foreign investment measures in Europe and beyond, which has been accelerated by the global pandemic. And today I'm joined by two of my colleagues who are gonna walk us through how the new regulation will affect foreign investment reviews in practice. First, Frank Rowling is a partner in our Berlin office who co-heads the firm's foreign investment skills group and regularly advises clients under foreign investment rules before the German Federal Ministry of Economics and abroad. Thanks for being here, Frank. Hi, happy to be here. And Amaryllis Muller is a principal associate in our Brussels office who has extensive experience advising on regulatory filings for multi-jurisdictional M&A transactions. Great to have you here, Amaryllis. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. So, Frank, I'm going to start with you. Can you set the scene for us today by just talking a little bit about the geopolitical context for the new regulation? How did we get here? Thanks, Jen. You've already mentioned that the EU FDI screening regulation was adopted some 18 months ago. And as you rightly pointed out, since then, we have seen an explosion of new FDI regulations around the globe, including, and I would say in particular, in Europe. Today, over 100 jurisdictions have foreign investment laws globally, and a growing number are introducing mandatory and oftentimes also suspensory notification requirements for such investments from abroad. All of this has already had a significant impact on M&A, at least in some countries and for some sectors. Now, to better understand the background and to answer your question, Jen, I think it's important to look at what happened in the EU in the years before. So in particular, between 2016 and 2018. During that period, CFIUS in the US was very active and blocked numerous Chinese acquisitions into the US. So Chinese companies started to turn to Europe. Probably the most important transaction in this respect, in which we were involved, related to the acquisition of German robotic manufacturer KUKA by the Chinese company Midea in 2016. KUKA was considered by German politics and the public opinion as a cutting-edge German robotic company, and it became clear very quickly that the German government was very keen to intervene. However, the German government also realized at some point that the German FDI rules would not allow for any intervention in a case like this, which only affected critical technologies. Similar experiences regarding critical companies were made in a few other European member states. As a result of all of this, Germany and other member states not only tightened their national screening mechanism to better address these situations, but together with Italy and France, Germany also pushed the European Commission to take measures at EU level. This is how the EU screening regulation was born. I would describe the approach taken by the EU regulation as follows. On the one hand, activities only in some member states led to growing concerns around conflicting approaches to foreign investments more generally, including in particular a lack of coordination and harmonization within the EU. Given all the interdependencies that exist in an integrated EU single market, it was considered key by the Commission in 2018 
and some, but not all, member states to defend their common interests in the EU regarding certain critical assets collectively. On the other hand, the screening of foreign investments in sensitive areas obviously touches upon the issue of national sovereignty, for example, defense or healthcare. And the political appetite for such screening mechanism was not the same across all member states, at least not two years ago. So the new EU screening regulation therefore seeks to balance this tension by providing one, a framework for cooperation between member states on FDI and allowing the European Commission to issue non-binding opinions. But two, leaving the ultimate decision over whether to permit a foreign investment with national governments, they have the last word not the European Commission. Yeah, and I, I think in terms of context, as you said, Jen, the regulation was adopted in 2018. But since uh, the landscape in terms of FDI screening has changed quite dramatically, uh, with several member states having adopted new regimes since then, or have strengthened their already existing regimes, and an important event in this regard that has accelerated this trend is obviously the COVID-19 pandemic. With a lot of governments focusing on securing their national healthcare supply, but national governments have also displayed increasing protectionism as they are very focused on re-establishing their local economies. And what is very interesting to note in this regard is that still at the very beginning stages of the crisis in March 2020, and I know that this feels like an eternity ago now, uh, the European Commission came out with a guidance for member states on how to use FDI screening during the crisis. And essentially it was a bit of a call to arms. Um, so it called on member states to use all tools available to avoid uh, any loss of critical assets or technology due to uh, foreign investment. And this was not only in the healthcare sector, but actually any sectors that were affected by uh, the economic consequences of the crisis. So what we have seen since is that a lot of member states, uh, after this guidance, have either strengthened their regime or have introduced uh, new regimes. For example, Germany has introduced a stencil obligation and has made its regime significantly stricter. Italy has extended its golden power reviews to also include healthcare, food, financial services sector, and so on. And the member state level is not the only uh, level at which uh, things have progressed in the meantime. The European Commission, in the framework of its European industrial strategy, has adopted a white paper on the effects of foreign subsidies. So this is also within the realm of FDI, with the aim to level the playing field uh, with regard to foreign subsidies. So this was a very long way of, of saying that the regulation has gained significant importance since it was adopted in 2018, because there is an increased need for coordination of all these FDI regimes by member states. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Amaryllis. That's really helpful background. But let's drill down a little bit into what the key features of this new regime actually are. So. Amaryllis, how does the new cooperation mechanism work and what are the implications for FDI screening procedures going forward now that it's in effect? Yeah, Jen, so as I said, there is this big scope for 
some kind of harmonization and cooperation between member state FDI regimes. So what the regulation is not, first of all, it is not sort of a centralized FDI screening by the European Commission. So it's dissimilar to the merger control. It does not create a one-stop shop for FDI screening. Um, the centerpiece of the regulation is really this cooperation mechanism between uh, member states and the European Commission to exchange information in relation to FDI in Europe. So to give an example, when an FDI is notifiable in a specific country, let's say Germany, then this country has to provide information to the European Commission and other member states about this FDI um, within its, its jurisdiction, and it has to do so with under due delay after the filing thereof. Now, uh, for member states that do not have a regime, uh, for example, the jurisdiction I practice in uh, Belgium, they may still need to provide certain information about the foreign investment on the request of member states um, or the, the European Commission. So once this information is provided, member states uh, may provide comments to the member states that is screening the FDI. And they will typically do so if this impacts their security or public order or if it affects other European interests, or maybe simply because they have additional information for the screening. Um, you will probably think, okay, where does the European Commission come into all of this? Um, the European Commission can issue opinions, and it will do so if the FDI is likely to impact security or the public order of multiple member states, or if it impacts another interest of the European Union. Interesting here is that the European Commission actually has to provide an opinion if at least one third of the member states consider that the foreign investment is likely um, to affect their um, security or, or public order. So thanks very much, Amaryllis. Uh, that was a great overview of what the regulation is doing. Maybe I could quickly cover a few points which the regulation is not covering. And from my perspective, there are three important points which are not covered by the regulation. First of all, and, and you've touched upon it already, Amarillis, it does not introduce a one-stop shop mechanism that would allow the European Commission to take its own decision or even block FDI into the EU. So it's not like merger control where the European Commission has its own jurisdiction over some cases. The new regulation will only allow the European Commission to try to act in a coordination role and coordinate the actions of the governments of the member states. So this means for businesses that the national governments will remain the sole point of contact for businesses and no notifications will have to be made to the European Commission. The second point is that there is no obligation for any member state to introduce FDI screening mechanisms if they do not already have one. The EU screening regulation just sets out a legal framework, a template if you want, and many member states have already followed it, 15 by today, and we expect many more to, to follow, but probably not all. All of this has led to a significant harmonization within the EU, a trend which we expect and hope will continue, as it definitely helps to reduce red tape and to predict the outcome of screening for businesses, something which is really important for the deal certainty. And the third point, which the regulation is not covering, 
is in relation to the standards of the review and different procedural aspects. So while there is a minimum standard which member states have to adhere to when they introduce such a mechanism, the regulation does not provide for any rules, for example, regarding the jurisdictional thresholds. In practice, this means that the standards are diverging a lot across the EU. Some member states, for example, use the acquisition of control, a test which we all know very well from the merger control world. Others are looking at voting right thresholds, which often apply already to minority shareholding as low as 10%. And then there are other member states where there are no thresholds for jurisdiction at all. And also the definition of investors, which are subject to the screening, can differ significantly from member state to member state. Some apply the screening even to domestic buyers. For example, Slovenia has introduced such a test, whereas others only look at all foreign investors and then others who only look at non-EU investors. And finally, it's also worth noting that there is no framework for timelines or possible mitigation measures. So overall, there's still a lot to do to harmonize this further. Yeah, indeed. And and one point to note there as well is that to the extent to which there will be harmonization will also depend on how much the member states will actually take account of the several comments and opinions from other member states and the in the European Commission, because they have to give due consideration to these comments, but it's currently a bit unclear what that will mean in practice. And it will also be interesting to see how broadly the Commission and, and other member states will actually interpret their uh, possibility to give comments to and opinions to other member states for their FDI screening. So thanks, Frank. Thanks, Amaryllis. That is obviously a lot of information and, and questions for companies to think about if they find themselves in a position where this might apply. And I wonder if we might you know, make it a bit more tangible and talk through what this might mean in practice if we were looking at a, at a hypothetical transaction. So Frank, assume that I'm a US company and I'm thinking about investing in a German telecoms company. Um, if I'm looking at a potential deal, what do I have to expect or think about in light of this new FDI regulation that I didn't need to think about last week? That's a good question, Jen. There have been many transactions in the telecommunication sector recently, and we have been involved in some of them. Many of those have undergone FDI scrutiny in Germany. So let's look at your hypothetical. First of all, the US investor, as a foreign investor, would be subject to FDI screening in Germany. Secondly, the target is likely to be deemed critical infrastructure under German law. This means that a filing would be mandatory and also suspensory. So let's assume this is a no-issues case. Such a case should normally be cleared within phase one, i.e. within two months. However, because there is an increasing number and backlog of cases, very often the cases are being sent by the German government into phase two. This means that the review period will last three, sometimes four or even five months in a no-issues case. In certain sectors, and the telecommunication sector is one of them, it has become the rule that behavioral remedies are required. This means that a security agreement needs to be negotiated with the German government in order to mitigate any risk. In these cases, the process will typically last a bit longer, so four, five, six months, and then you need to add another month or two to negotiate the mitigation agreement. So in total, depending on how sensitive the activities of the target are and the identity of the buyer, the review process in Germany can last from two to eight, sometimes nine months. Now, what does the new cooperation mechanism under the EU screening regulation mean for the timeline? 
Well, first of all, it's important to note that there has been very little or even no cooperation between the member states or between the member states and the European Commission on the FDI side. So all of this is completely new territory for the member states and also the Commission. Given the timeline which Amaryllis has explained for the cooperation mechanism, it's fair to assume that there will be a delay in the process. I think on the one hand, what we will see is that the chances of obtaining a phase one clearance will be even slimmer going forward, simply because the cooperation mechanism takes already almost one to two months if there are questions, if there are comments which are being provided by other member states or the European Commission. And so it will be almost impossible for the German government to issue a clearance within phase one. In more complex cases, the impact on the timing will hopefully be less meaningful. This is because, as I explained a bit earlier, the timeline is already very long. And so hopefully the new cooperation mechanism can be properly built into the already existing timeline under German law. Okay, so my my telecom investment, uh, it sounds like I have to worry about some delay if I'm going to pursue that. But Amaryllis, if I'm looking at other sectors that I might want to invest in as a U.S. company, what are the other sectors most likely to be affected by this e-regulation that I need to watch out for? Yeah, so there, I think, as, as Frank said, it will very much depend on the specific member state that you're investing in, uh, because they ultimately decide what sectors the regime applies to. What we've seen in the past is that the sectors that are generally subject to FDI reviews are defense, national security, critical infrastructure. What the regulation does, it kind of says to the member states, well, there's maybe also other sectors that you may wish to protect. It lists, for example, critical technologies, for which it means um, things like artificial intelligence, robotics, energy storage, nanotechnologies, and so on. And an interesting point that it also mentions investment, which may involve access to sensitive information. So, for example, personal data or, um, you know, the ability to control this information. And of course, you know, this is a very topical point, the protection of, of personal data. So it will be interesting to see um, if member states really adapt their regimes to also include this. Okay, so if, if maybe we can bring this all together, you know, when you are counseling your clients today on deal planning, what are the key implications of this FDI screening procedure that they need to take into account when thinking about a new deal? Frank, can we maybe start with you? Sure, ha- happy to start. And, and then I'm sure Amarillis will have some, some additional points. I think I would personally see three main key takeaways. The first one, I think FDI is a moving target and investors need to be aware of this. Because of the EU screening regulation, we currently see a lot of legislative developments at member states level. FDI rules are either introduced or changed almost on a weekly basis. So it's important for dealmaking to stay on top of these developments to avoid overlooking any new suspensory regime, which could obviously heavily impact any deal timetable if it is only spotted too late in the process. My second point would be complexity and lack of transparency. I think the new cooperation mechanism will add to the existing lack of transparency. Already today, governments are often not very transparent in an FDI process and will tell you very little about their concerns. Adding now the Commission, but also other member states to the process, will certainly not improve this. It will obviously add a layer of complexity to the entire process. And then my third point would be deal certainty. 
As ever, and this is very similar to merger control, it will be important to conduct a thorough foreign investment review upfront to spot any potential issues before you enter into any transactional documents. This covers, for example, the CP, the risk allocation clauses, so for example, the head or high water clause, the break fee, but also cooperation clauses and the long stop date. Yeah, and picking up on, on these CPs, I think what is important from a practice point is that now you cannot really advise on these anymore without having a good understanding of the FDI regimes, because you will need to really take account of possible risks that come along with these FDI screening regimes um, in the SPA. And, and more generally, of course, there is an impact on the timetable of the deal. So there is necessary planning needed to account for the potential impact of the extended FDI screening and also the cooperation mechanism now under the regulation because member states will be able to provide comments, uh, the commission can issue an opinion, and all of this will obviously feed into a potentially longer timeline for M&A deals. Well, I think uh, we're at the end of our time, but I want to thank everyone for listening and a huge thanks to you, Frank and Amaryllis, for joining me and for sharing your expertise in such a complex and, and fast-moving area. Now, if you want to hear more, please check your email for our new client briefing on this topic. Or as always, you can reach out to us at essentialantitrust at freshfields.freshfields.com or to your usual Freshfields contact. We hope this was informative and useful for you, and we'll see you next time with more Essential Antitrust.